Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. President Biden gave quite a speech. I want to give you a little summary of my take on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Voting rights went down in flames. Joe Madison, our friend and colleague over on the SiriusXM Urban View channel, announced on his show that he is ending his fast for voting rights because, for the moment, the cause is lost. Long term, the cause is definitely not lost. There's a lot of fight left and a long way to go, and there's a very good chance that in the 2022 election, we will pick up a couple more Democratic senators, and we can try this again if we can hang on to the House. We'll see. Um, and uh, Joe, in fact, uh, you know, in addition to sending me a note over, overnight on, as a text message that he was um, pulling his fast today, and we wish him the best. I mean, even stopping a fast after this long a period of time can be a challenge to your body. Also sent me a, a note from Media Matters, which I thought was brilliant, uh, by Eric Kleefeld about how CNN is covering voting rights as Democratic infighting rather than focusing on what a threat uh, Trump's big lie to democracy is brilliant. It, it's, it's so solid. So I want to get into that. The GOP, apparently, at least Mitch McConnell, wants you to believe that uh, black voters are not Americans as the Voting Rights Act dies. Uh, also, how Stacey Abrams could win Georgia. We'll get into that in our second hour in our, and, and also a crazy alert about Lindsey Graham and Steve Bannon and and Ted Cruz and Tucker. And what does this all say about how, what kind of people are in the GOP right now? Also, yesterday got in the mail. Now, the, the bookstores haven't started selling them yet, but I got the, uh, a, a case of my new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. And I will be talking about that in coming weeks. Uh, I think it's, it's a huge issue. The book touches on a bunch of dimensions of it. Just an FYI. First of all, with regard to President Biden's speech, I thought he did a great job, and I was amazed. I mean, you know, there's all these memes about, oh, he's old and feeble and he can't stand on his feet and blah, blah, blah. But he stood there for two hours and took questions from right-wing crazies and, and, and pretty much everybody. He said that the Build Back Better bill that started out as $6 trillion and Joe Manchin whittled it down to $2 trillion and then said, no, I won't even vote for that. He's going to try and break that into uh, smaller pieces and, and get some of those pieces passed. We know that Manchin and Cinema have said absolutely no way to the child tax credit and free community college. 
He said it's going to be difficult. I make no bones about that. We've not run out of options yet, though. He also said, I think we can break the package up, get as much as we can now, and come back and fight for the rest later. This is a guy who is not giving up. He's not slowing down. He's moving forward, and God bless him for that. He went on to say, Joe Manchin strongly supports early education, three, four years of age, strongly supports that. So again, you know, one of the pieces that he thinks he can get past his own, his own obstructionists. He repeatedly jumped on the Republicans. I mean, I, it was just absolutely brilliant. I mean, you know, in addition to pointing out Trump's perfidy, he went on to say, I did not anticipate that there would be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing that the Republican Party was doing, you know, legislatively, was that President Biden didn't get anything done. And then he goes on to say, he says, what are Republicans for? I mean, this is the question I've been asking on this show for 18 years now. Name one piece of legislation. We've got one possible winner. I've got to do the deep dive research on it this weekend, but it's a very obscure thing. But name one major piece of legislation or any consequential piece of legislation that Republicans have passed in since the 1980s that benefits anybody other than rich people or giant corporations. I can't name one. And Joe Biden couldn't either. President Biden, he said, what are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing that they are for. And then, you know, referencing how Donald Trump has intimidated the whole party, he said, did you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party? He noted that five Republican senators have privately told him that they uh, support a lot of what he's doing, but if they say so, they will lose their primaries. He says, I wonder what would be the Republican platform right now? What do you think? Because there is no Republican platform. There was no Republican platform 2020, year before last. They literally didn't have one. Our platform is whatever dear leader says. Gee, where have we heard that before? Well, it was really in my father's lifetime. Anyhow, Biden defended his record. He noted the record low unemployment, a passage of the $1.9 trillion economic stimulus bill, getting 200 million Americans vaccinated, his negotiation on the bipartisan bill that got, you know, basically a trillion dollars into the nation's roads, bridges, pipes, and broadband. And he says he's going to take a new approach going forward. He's not going to try to play legislator in chief. Uh, that hasn't worked for him. And, uh, well, actually it has in some ways. I mean, he, he has had a couple of really substantial legislative achievements, which is why the economy right now is rip-roaring. It's doing better than it's done in decades. And, he, and he's created more jobs in his first year than any president in the history of America, which is pretty big, pretty big deal. But he says he's, been, uh, he's basically gotten tired of being dragged into these endless debates and negotiations with his own party. He says, quote, the public doesn't want me to be the president's senator. They want me to be the president and let senators be senators. And nearly 75% of all adults in America are now fully vaccinated. He said that's an accomplishment. When he was asked about African-Americans who might feel that he did not vote, uh, did not fight hard enough for voting rights, that he prioritized getting the economy back on track before voting rights, for example, he said, I've had their back. I've had their back my entire career. I've never not had their back. I started on voting rights issues long, long ago, which is uh, largely true. And, you know, he said that he believes that in the 2022 election, African-Americans, students, uh, people over 65, all the groups that Republicans are, tr are, you know, changing the rules to suppress their vote, 
will overcome these voter suppression efforts and will show up and vote. And I hope he's right. How dispirited are people? He said, I thought this was one of the coolest little notes that he, he said in his speech. He said, some people may call what's happening now the new normal. I call it a job not yet finished. It will get better. So, you know, he's basically stopped his, his bipartisan happy talk, which he had been doing all throughout the campaign. Yeah, I'm the guy who can work with the Republicans. Ha! Republicans can't be worked with. The party has turned into the party of organized crime, basically. He kind of put his foot in it by saying that, you know, Russia might make a minor incursion into Ukraine, but if they do anything substantial, we'll go after them. The State Department came out afterwards and said, no, even one soldier going into Ukraine, there will be a heavy foot coming down on Russia. He asked for patience from black voters. I, I mentioned that. And he's acknowledging the inflation elephant in the room. But again, you know, I don't think this is going to be long term or structural. I don't think it's going to be a, a, a crisis for us. Wages are catching up. Social Security is indexed. You know, it's a problem, and the media is going hysterical about it, This because once before it was a problem that lasted and actually harmed a couple of presidential administrations, Jerry Ford and Jimmy Carter specifically. But I think we'll get through this. Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, so the title of my piece today over at HartmanReport.com is How the Rules Determine if Criminals Become Politicians. I start out by asking the, the question, and it's not rhetorical, how do criminals take over countries? Uh, Donald Trump, for example, is a criminal, right? <laughs> the Supreme Court basically said this yesterday. His son Eric invoked the, the fifth 500 times. His niece and multiple biographers have chronicled how, he, chronicled how he's basically been a criminal his entire life. So how do, how do criminals become politicians, you know, like Donald Trump? How do they become politicians, and how did it happen here? Well, first of all, sometimes it's through brute force. I was in the Philippines. I was in Manila uh, when uh, Olivio Javier was assassinated. He was an anti-Marcos politician, rising star. They chased him down the street and uh, murdered him with a pistol in a public bathroom is where they finally, finally caught him. And uh, I was staying, I think I was staying at the Peninsula Hotel, but it, it was in the Makati district. And this huge, I mean, there's this giant street that goes through the middle of the district, and this huge procession came through. And then I got bumped off my flight day after day after day as the Marcos cronies were fleeing the country. But, but basically, it was brute force. That's how Marcos ruled uh, the Philippines and came to power. Sometimes it's strategic blunders. You know, in 1933 in Germany, Von Poppen and Hindenburg thought, hey, you know, we've got this Adolf Hitler guy. He's charismatic. He's only got about a third of the country on his side. But if we join up with him, they were the conservatives, right? They were the Republicans of their day. If we join up with him, we can control him. And he'll, you know, prevent the socialists or the communists from having any, any victories in, in parliament. Yeah, right. Strategic blunders. But in most cases, it's what uh, Alexander Lit Litvinenko called the uh, mafia state, when, when that happens, it's because the rules have changed. The actual rules of governance. And, you know, it's the rules that define the game. I mean, if you're playing by football rules, you're playing football. If you're playing by baseball rules, you're playing baseball. If you're playing by democracy rules, you're playing democracy. 
And so what happens here? What happened here? The Supreme Court changed the rules. Starting in the 1970s, after Richard Nixon put Lewis Powell on the Supreme Court in, 70, in 72, by 78, Lewis Powell had authored the First National Bank versus Bilotti decision in which he said that, you know, not only if billionaires want to own politicians, but if corporations want to own politicians, that's not bribery, that's free speech. And what that has done, you know, that's literally that and Citizens United in 2010 literally struck down hundreds of state and local laws across the country that were good government laws that limited money in politics. And so now we have, as a result of the Supreme Court changing the rules, it's as if the NFL said, hey, whichever team gives the NFL the most money can have an extra player on the field. Well, the same thing is happening here because of the Supreme Court. And as a result of that, we now have basically government by big money. We've got a mafia state. And I'm not talking about the Biden administration. I'm talking about the opposition to it. Clearly, there are still some who are left. But, you know, reduce student debt, free or low-cost college, dental, hearing, and eyeglasses on Medicare, raise the cap on Social Security, get the post office into banking, stop global warming, clean up all that, the, the poisons in our food supply, make pharmaceuticals affordable, Medicare for all, tax the rich, break up the big monopolies and restore competition for small businesses. All of those things poll well over 50%. None of those things are happening. Because politicians have been bought off either by big corporations or trade associations or right-wing billionaires. This is America becoming a mafia state. You can go to OpenSecrets.org and, and plug in any politician's name, see who funds them, and you'll know how they vote. That's not how democracies are supposed to work. And until we overturn Citizens United and, and the uh, other pieces of, of uh, policy that have metastasized from it, this wealth mafia that's overtaken the Republican Party and controls a few Democrats, as we saw yesterday, is going to continue to run the United States and turn us into something like the Philippines or Hungary. And, you know, the NFL wouldn't let this happen. <laughs> they have solid rules and they enforce them. And if the owners tried, like when Trump tried to take over the NFL, they just kicked him out. They said, no way, or they wouldn't let him in. It's a low bar. But America must become at least as functional as the National Football League. You know, we, we have to have standards. We have to have rules that protect all the players in our democracy and that, and that don't just benefit the owners, you know, to use the NFL analogy, which would be the wealthy, the stockholders and the big corporations, but also benefit our communities, that benefit the players, the workers, and benefit the fans, that is all of us citizens. If the NFL can do it, we should be able to do it. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. As the Voting Rights Act died at the hands of 50 Republican senators and two who call themselves Democrats, Robert Reich tweeted, just solidly nails it. He says, there's something terribly wrong with a system that allows 41 Senate Republicans representing 21% of the country to block voting rights legislation supported by nearly 70% of Americans. It really, truly doesn't have to be this way. So they asked Mitch McConnell about this. You know, uh, in fact, this was this reporter, uh, Pablo uh, Manriquez, uh, asked McConnell what his message was for voters of color who are concerned about their voting rights. And this is what Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, the head of the Republicans in the United States Senate, who were united against voting rights, he said, well... Uh, you know, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch McTurtle. Well, the, the concern is misplaced because if we look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. Oh, really? So African-Americans are not Americans? Really? They're like a separate thing? He goes on to say, a recent survey, 94% of Americans thought it was easy to vote. This is not a problem. Turnout is up. Biggest turnout since 1900. They're being sold a bill of goods to support a democratic effort to federalize elections. I think when you have individual states, like we were talking yesterday about Lincoln County, Georgia, under this new Georgia law, shutting uh, you know, an entire county, and a large county, a physically large county, shutting down six of its seven voting locations. A county that is about a third black. And the only voting location that is going to be left is in the predominantly right, white part of the, whole, of the whole county. When you look at a situation like that, it's like, well, Mitch McConnell's not misspeaking. He's not, he's not accidentally saying that African-Americans are not Americans. He genuinely, I mean, you know, he's a son of the South. You know, there's old pictures of him with, with the Confederate dead-enders and the Confederate flag and stuff. I mean, this is, this is who he is and where he came from. Brian Bihar wrote uh, on Twitter, he said, McConnell did not misspeak. In one quote, he summarized the entire GOP worldview. They think it's a white nation, and anyone who isn't white isn't a true American. And this is the primary meme that is animating the Republican Party right now. It used to be a slice of the Republican Party. It used to be a, um, an extra piece that they would use to win elections. This is what started in 1964 when they started yelling about election fraud and put together Operation Eagle Eye. I shared that with you yesterday and wrote about it in yesterday's HartmanReport.com. So it started really in 64 in that way. And then in 68, it went 
up a whole another level with Richard Nixon's Southern strategy, where he was explicitly reaching out, in particular to the South, to the white racists who were at that point abandoned by the Democratic Party, because the Democratic Party had said, you know, in 64, 65, with the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, uh, we believe in a multiracial democracy. And the Republicans were like, oh, no, we don't. Not going to happen. White supremacy forever. That was Richard Nixon's message. I mean, he, he shrouded it in dog whistle language about crime and, and uh, you know, law and order, as did Reagan after him. And states' rights, Reagan gave a states' rights speech down in, in, uh, in Mississippi, right, right down the road from where the three civil rights, rights workers, uh, Schwarmer, Goodman, and Cheney, were murdered. It's really mind-boggling, you don't even think about it, uh, that, that, this, the, that white supremacy has been part of the Republican agenda since 1964 explicitly. And arguing that non-white people voting is voter fraud has been part of the Republican Party's strategy literally since 1964. And yesterday, we couldn't put a stop to that. They're going to continue doing it. As the Voting Rights Act, uh, voting rights act dies. I suspect that uh, Kirsten Sinema, who was wearing bright Republican red yesterday for her vote, is probably going to switch parties. The question is when and how much damage will it do to the Biden presidency. Uh, Joe Manchin, I, I don't think he cares one way or the other. He's enjoying being, you know, kind of substitute president. Although if she switches parties, it'll change his power. But at a certain point, it's, it's time to leave them behind. Manchin and Cinema are you know, okay, so they're, they're, you know, boulders in the river, but they're not stopping the river. America is becoming more diverse. America is waking up to the fact that we almost had a fascist takeover of our government. We're going to see more of that in the coming weeks as the January 6th committee starts holding public hearings. America is waking up to the fact that these white guys running around with guns and bizarre outfits are not actually patriots, that they represent what America fought against in World War II. America is waking up to the fact that the things that we have been wanting, we have not been getting, even though a majority of us want them. I mean, it used to be in American politics by and large, with the single conspicuous, obviously, a, a, a exception of uh, black voting rights, which, which we actually put into law in 64 and 65. But, but you know, I, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's hard to say setting that aside. But generally speaking, it used to be in American politics that when Americans wanted something, yes, let's put a man on the moon. We put a man on the moon. When Americans wanted Medicare, we got Medicare. When they wanted Social Security strengthened, we strengthened Social Security. When they wanted voting rights, we got voting rights. When we wanted somebody to protect the environment, you know, uh, Rachel Carlson publishes the book Silent Spring, and suddenly we've got the Environmental Protection Agency. When it looked like our elections were getting corrupted in 1974, we got the, the uh, Federal Election Commission, which, and, and a whole bunch of rules and regulations about that. Of course, the Supreme Court blew all that up, which was the point of my opening rant today. They changed the rules 
of democracy in America. But that notwithstanding, America is becoming more progressive. America is becoming more awake. And yeah, I know Republicans like to go, oh, he, he, did he just say he's woke? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're waking up to your game here, Republicans. Americans are figuring out that they've been had. I mean, there's only so long that you can keep throwing country music and NASCAR and flags at people while on the, with the one hand, while you're taking away their ability to unionize, while you're, while you're cutting taxes on billionaires and sticking them with the bill, while you're continuing to pollute the environment and destroy their homes through, through uh, climate change mediated wild weather. There's only, there's only so long you can get away with this. And it's starting to break down. And we now have a president of the United States who's calling them out. What do the Republicans stand for? Other than white supremacy. Like I said, it started out as a slice of the Republican electorate, uh, you know, because not everybody wants to vote for tax cuts for billionaires or deregulation of pollution. So they had to bring in the white supremacists. Now it's all they've got. I mean, they still have their billionaires and their, and their corporations, but, you know, they're not even pushing these lies. They, you know, they're, they're no longer trying to say, hey, trickle-down economics is going to benefit everybody. If we, if we give the job creators, you know, less, if we have less taxes on the job creators, they're going to raise your wages. Well, you know, America bought that BS for about 30 years since Ronnie Reagan started selling it in 1981. We don't buy it anymore. When Reagan told us, and, and George W. Bush, for that matter, with his Clean Skies Initiative and Healthy Forest Initiative that allowed more pollution and clear-cutting trees, you know, for a while we were like, oh, clear, clear, clear skies, healthy forests, that sounds right. And now we figured out that it was a scam. The Republican Party has been running a scam all these years. And they've just, like, given up on even trying anymore. They're no longer saying, oh, yeah, we're the party that's going to help the average working guy. No, they're not even bothering. It's like it, they are about white supremacy, white power, and they are making a bet, the Donald Trump bet, that naked white racism and white supremacy is going to draw in enough white people that they can continue to win elections. And in some states, it's going to work. But will it work across the entire country? Will it work in the states that matter in the election that's coming up, particularly with regard to the Senate? I don't think so. I think it's starting to break down. I am very concerned. I mean, I'm... I wrote a book about this, you know, the hidden history of American oligarchy, about how they are trying to, you know, the, the oligarchs are trying to take over and destroy democracy in America. No doubt about it. But what I'm seeing increasingly is an America that is waking the hell up to what's going on. And I think that's a good thing. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michael in Fairview, Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Just curious, you know, a while back when they had those Black Lives Matter marches in Washington and it was... um, putting the bunker baby in the bunker. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea was, um, I thought was a good one, that um, make D.C. a state, yeah. you know, make Puerto Rico a state, and uh, um, collect those those four senators. I, I, how hard is that to do? Is, uh, is, that, is that Mitch McConnell's area where he can... Um, uh, it could be collect. filibustered. Um, it requires, uh, I, I think, I'm pretty sure it simply requires a simple majority in both the House and Senate and doesn't require a sign-off by the states. Unlike a constitutional amendment, for example, it requires two-thirds in both the House and Senate and three-quarters of the states. Uh, this is just a simple majority, and making D.C. a state should be a no-brainer, and the Democrats should have been on it on day one. The Republicans certainly would have been. You, you first go for the structural and institutional things that give you and hold for you your power and Mm -hmm. that should have been voting rights and dc as a state right out of the gate on the other hand when joe biden came into office he was presiding over a disaster i mean donald trump had totally screwed up this country um you know it was just a a, a screaming disaster and so he had to prioritize and he prioritized what it seems like was the right thing but who knows but michael I, i i'm i'm with you and i i think that that is something that needs to be done as soon as possible. Thanks for the call. Rick in uh, Wyoming, Michigan. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? The reason I'm calling is it has to do with uh, the lack of definition that the Republican Party has uh, in this country, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they want to continue that. And a couple of pieces of evidence lately has been them coming out. And, although I didn't actually hear him say it, it's like we don't need a Republican Party platform. Right. Well, they and, did. This is in, in 2020. There was no party platform. None. Ah, okay. Ah, I don't even remember that part. But First okay. election in history, uh, or at least in modern yeah. party history. Yeah. Yeah. The, anyway, the point remains. And uh, another thing they came up with more recently is uh, we don't need to debate. Right. So, or, 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 and we don't need to do town halls. We don't need to talk to our constituents. When was the last time you heard of a Republican in either the House or the Senate holding a town hall? It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and that's been going on for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, nobody really knows who they are because they never really talk about who they are. But when, when they go around, uh, you know, refusing to put forth a platform, that in itself, I think, is a disingenuous. Oh, I think it tells you everything you need to know about them. They don't believe in anything except power and money. 
Yes, Period. but you know what I'm getting at. They're is, corrupt. Um, the 1980 Libertarian Party platform. Yeah, is David Cox. The Republican. Yes. So I'm wondering if, if you can think of some way where Democrats could weaponize that truth. You know, it's amazing to me, Rich, how hard it is to even find that old platform on the Internet. It's like it's been scrubbed. It's just it's just breathtaking. Um, but, I just saw it. Yeah, it, but it's 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 never going to go away. I mean, he actually ran for president on that, even though he's passed away now. And but you're right. This is the the Republican Party has adopted this libertarian point of view, and you know, frankly, I think it's been very destructive. Rick, I got to move along. But thank you for the call, uh, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? The obstructionism of the uh, right wing Republican Party is based on the fact that their view of America is that America should degenerate essentially into a street fight between factions, and government has no role but to stand by it and watch. And the parties may kick each other in the chops and rabbit punch and whatever dirty trick. And government, the federal government, has no role but to sit by and see who wins, who's the last man standing, and then government is beholden to that person. Yeah, it's Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, it's a Fight Club. It's a, it's the, you know, it's the the, the sharks and the jets. And you know, something I have to mention to you because you talked about you were talking about Citizens United earlier. I was just reading the oral arguments about Citizens United this week and. You know what happened in that case, Tom? The, the right-wing judges, starting with Scalia, they start bullying and arguing and obfuscating, and the whole damn thing turned into an argument about banning books. Wow. And even, even the lawyer for the, for the Citizens United, who was uh, George, he's a well-known lawyer. His wife was killed in 9-11. Um, right. God, what? His name escapes me, but he even said, that's not what we're asking for. The whole same thing turned into an argument about banning books, and I'm sorry that Elena Kagan did not have the presence of mind to say, it's not about banning the book, it's about banning the kind of advertising for the book prohibited under McCain-Feingold. Correct, correct. Paul, I got to run. Thank you for the call. Cesar in Chicago. Hey, what's on your mind today? By the speech he did, and I think it touched on great points. My like they spoke about the accomplishments he's made. I feel like he stuttered very little. Um, I love the way he he spoke about. He talked about what he told Obama to take some victory laps. You know, after he passed Obamacare, I love the way he criticized the Republicans for absolutely no policy that they have whatsoever. And I feel like he said he's going to take a tour now. You know, to go talk to every state, and I know you've been talking about it for the past months. They should be taking some victory laps around. And I feel like he's, I think he's been playing chess from the beginning. I mean, I have, we don't know if he might have offered some positions to a cinema mansion to get him out of the way from the beginning, and they just they didn't take him, you know. But I think yeah. now he's going to take off the gloves, and I think the next months are going to be exciting to see what they're going to come up with, what new strategies they have. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I think that, you know, this, this year is going to be a very, very consequential year. In, in 11 months, we're going to have uh, an election that is going to determine an awful lot. You know, if we can hold the House and gain seats in the Senate, we can really get some good stuff done. If we lose either one, uh, you know, which is also a possibility, then it's going to be, uh, I think, on the one hand, a really tough time for President Biden and for democracy in America. On the other hand, it will more starkly illustrate the contrast between the parties 
And I think that might actually help us in 2024. So I'm, I'm not despairing at all right now. I'm pissed off, but I'm not despairing. Cesar, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Tim in Rockville, Maryland. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Um, thanks for taking the call. I really appreciate it. And um, what I want to say is uh, I saw an interview with uh, Jamie Raskin a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and I've been contacting his office since all facts emerged and encouraging him to deal with dishonesty in his own ranks and, and people in elected offices, period. Um, he debated with me, discussed, pick, pick a term, over the phone, um, that subject taking First Amendment as um, his defense as to why things have not happened. Uh, I urged him to reconsider his position and look at it from a standpoint that we do in corporate America. I was head of human resources for major corporations, and um, uh, I'm retired now. But in the course of handling a culture of dishonesty, um, you have to establish rules. And I, and I listened to you very carefully in your discussion about ru- the necessary rules. You started with lying um, in your list, uh, and that's top of my uh, list. Because what I found was if you can uh, clamp down on the line, in other words, don't fight the water in the basement, fight it at the, at the, at the uh, foundation. Um, they're fighting it with fact check. Um, they're also fighting the problem uh, in the basement rather than the foundation when they let people run for elected office. And what I'm proposing and what I've proposed to him is that what we need is for people to take the oath of office um, if, what, when they go to run and include truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth uh, yeah. in there. Here's, here's the problem, Tim, and this is, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't party to your conversation with Raskin, but I would, I would assume that it went the same way. Let's say that we decide that the First Amendment doesn't actually protect all political speech, including lies, that the, the First Amendment, um, we're just going to set it aside we're gonna, and, and the protections for the free press. And we're going to have a government agency that's going to determine what's true and what's not. And if a politician lies, then he'll get fined or the agency at the very least will call out his lies, um, which is the logical extension of, the, of what you're presenting. What happens then when uh, Josh Hawley becomes president and, and Tom Cotton is vice president and the Republicans control the House and Senate and they come out and say, you know, uh, climate change is a complete hoax. There's, there's nothing to do here. We've got to make a, a few more billion dollars in profits. Um, Americans are, are not paying the highest prices for pharmaceuticals in the world. I mean, it, the, uh, this is low-hanging fruit, obviously. Or, uh, you know, critical race theory is being taught in our schools. We need laws against it. I mean, let me, what? Let me interject something real quick, just because it's important to understand that the structure that currently exists uh, to mete out um, discipline in Congress is archaic and, 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 and not, not, not used for a variety of reasons. Well, there is an um, ethics committee. You need, you, need, you need the equivalent of a parliamentarian. You need the equivalent of, of an ombudsman. You need an independent person um, 
to judge. But that's the thing, Tim. When fascists take over up. governments, there's there are no longer independents. They're no longer anywhere. I understand that. And, and they would use that perversion of the, of the First Amendment to their advantage. I understand what you're saying, but my point being is that what you have going right now is Oh, a it's a mess, but let me, let me just finish my thought, Tim. So, so Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley take over America. They make a bunch of outrageous claims. I go on the air and say, these claims are lies. Their now government agency that is overseeing the press decides that Tom Hartman is, is, is full of BS because he's challenging the power, and I go off to jail. I mean, that's, that's no. where it ends up when you start saying well, that the government is going to regulate the press. Now, regulating ownership, you know, local ownership rules for local newspapers that's all, and, and radio and television, that's a completely different thing. And that can increase competition, which, you know, generally speaking, will increase the, you know, the voices and hold people accountable. But when you start talking about blowing up the First Amendment protections for free speech and the freedom of, a pre of press, because we're tired of politicians lying to us, the, the, the end point of that is extremely ugly, Tim. Yeah, but the point I think that's being missed, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll stop after this, um, is the fact that individuals can talk about what they think all they want. You can think X. You can think Y. When you present something as a fact, in other words, when you tell the American people the following is happening, or the following is this, or the following is that, as an elected official, your rules need to require that individual to present facts when they're providing it. No, politics would dictate that, Tim. You, you know, when we, when we figure out that politicians are regularly lying to us, in theory, we should be able to vote them out. Now, obviously, our elections are being distorted badly by big money supporting lies. Uh, you know, huge money, multi, you know, billionaire money. But that's what politics are for. That's why we have elections. That's why we have open debates. But when you start getting to the point where you're saying, we're going to have a government agency determine what is true and what isn't. You know, the, does cutting taxes on rich people actually create jobs? Does it or doesn't it? Well, you know, 20 years ago and, or 40 what? years ago when Reagan proposed that, nobody knew for sure, right? Um, what the, so, you know, if they, once a government agency starts deciding these things, we are becoming like Hungary or Russia. I'm not willing to go there, Tim. If you can't back it up when you say it, you shouldn't say it. That's and, not true. That There's a lot of things that you say that, that, you know, hey, I don't think that Reaganism is working anymore. Yeah, and I think that we should try Keynesianism, but I would like to make these changes right. using modern monetary theory. But I don't have 50 years of evidence to prove this. This is, this is a theory. Fine. That's fine. To think something is one thing. To state it as a fact is my yeah is where I'm heading and what but I think uh, Jamie is finally heading. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, Tim, I'm, I'm going to wrap this conversation up because I think we both made our points. Something? Thank you very much. Corky in Rochester. Hey, Corky, what's up? I got to take you all the way back to slavery. Okay. The Republican Party is a party of money. They want people to go to work for them, pay them as little as they can, and make them fortune so they can go to their country clubs, drink of umbrella drinks and have their Republican Party protect them from all taxes, 
from any type of uh, labor dispute. And what I mean by a labor dispute is if you got a bunch of companies getting together and say, I ain't paying no $15 an hour. I ain't going to pay my people no more than eight. And you shouldn't either. Now, that's not a conspiracy. That's a talk around the country club. But money, that's the Republican Party. They want you to work for them for nothing. And I take you back to the, the cotton pickers. They couldn't get enough cotton pickers, so they brought them in from Africa. They didn't even want to pay them. They just gave them a house and a little bite to eat. And that was that. And the, the railroad workers, they brought in the Chinese. And they paid them, what, a quarter an hour? Yeah, this has been the story of American capitalism forever. Now, instead of bringing in people, we're shipping jobs out. But, you know, same thing. I, you know, I get your point that, that the Republican Party is, is basically the party that is completely run by money. And, and, you know, large chunks of the Democratic Party are based, you know, are, are for the people, including union rights. Corky well said, thank you very much. Patrick in East Lansing, Michigan, watching us on Facebook Live. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Wanted to say what I think President Biden should be saying with Kamala Harris and also Chuck Schumer about how we pass voting rights using the Mansion Cinema bill that they both said they'd vote for without wrecking um, the Senate rules and without changing the filibuster. And, and this is missing from the discussion I heard at the press conference, and it's missing from some of the discussions I've heard on this show. And I thought you would be pushing this argument. Enlighten it was in me, the please. Hill magazine. It was in the Hill magazine, um, mm -hmm. September 18th. And Reason Magazine ran a whole article by James Wallner, who was a Senate uh, Republican Party aide and expert on the filibuster. Mm. Um, I've heard this from Charlie Tiefer, who wrote the Legislative Procedure Treatise and was Speaker Jim Wright's top attorney for the House. He's written all about it. I took his course at Georgetown Law School. What James Wallner says is that they can debate the voting rights and invoke Rule 19 and keep the Republicans from speaking more than twice, the Republicans will run out of people and then they get to have a straight majority vote. And all of the discussion so far has been to use the traditional method of cutting off debate, which is Rule 22. The reason Rule 19 applies is that all Schumer has to do is say that at the end of the 24-hour period of each legislative day, he's going to... Uh, recess instead of adjourn and that keeps open the limit of two times speaking on any matter the motion to proceed and the motion to vote on each right. of the two bills right the freedom to vote act and the john lewis freedom act and these two bills we have 50 votes plus harris yeah i read the so piece on my question. I, I read the piece on the hill um it, it seems well okay what are your questions my my questions are twofold it seems to me obvious that the democrats could pass voting rights without changing the filibuster, but they're not talking about the fact that they could. And it begs the question whether they're not talking about it because they won't. And if they won't, it seems as if so much is at stake that the Democratic voters ought to be pressuring them with massive demonstrations. That's my first kind of question point. And my second question point is that Ronald Brownstein has demonstrated to my satisfaction in this Atlantic article that 15 years of U.S. Supreme Court decisions in the Roberts Court basically gave us a judicial coup 
where they never nullified a law that granted voting rights access, and they have overturned laws that protect voting right access. And this is basically a judicial coup. And yet Biden at the press conference didn't say what Larry Tribe and Senator Warren and his commission, a lot of them said, which is we have to rebalance the court. So if he's not willing to stop the judicial coup, why isn't he willing to do the way they passed bills in the Senate to get voting rights all the way up till 1917 and the way that they passed the Civil Rights Act? Because they did similar things with the rules to get the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act in the House with the motion to commit, or they never would have gotten it to the floor. I'm not sure why we're not talking this way, because we didn't hear what we needed to hear from Biden, and we're not getting the result, which is right there in our hands. We're like on the one-yard line. Yeah. Patrick, my understanding is that Rule 22 does supersede Rule 19, but let me go back and look at, at those articles that you referenced. In fact, if you could tweet any of that to me, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, I will do that. Thank I'll share you. a take with you on it later. Thanks. Robert in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? So far as everything goes, the gerrymandering in New Mexico has been redone, and now it's proportional to what it should be population-wise. And what's referred to as West Texas, which is the southeast corner of New Mexico, has now been diluted down to its proper proportion, where they don't get to have a senator of their very own to represent their minority you mean, view. A, you mean a congressman. Is this, is this the result of a, a, a constitutional change or a law change? Or, I mean, how did the, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that New Mexico just uh, redistricted, uh, you know, did, and didn't heavily gerrymander, that they did it based on math and, and, and geography rather than politics. Is that the case? Exactly. They, they redid the borders of the three um, the three senators, three I mean, uh, the, yeah. three the members of Congress, yeah. and yeah, and instead of having the whole bottom southeast corner being the majority of the vote for this small area, now it's been reapportioned to what was proper, you know, percentage-wise, so far as what people's beliefs are. That's great. That's great. Thank you, Robert. Brian in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? You wanted to talk about Biden's speech. I watched it, and it like really reminded me why I, you know, ended up casting my vote for him. Uh, it was completely opposite of what we just got through the last four years. Uh, he was intelligent, gave complex answers, and made it through a whole press conference without uh, invoking fascist rhetoric about the press being liars or controlled by liars or controlled by special interests. And um, I just think that because of speeches like that, like. A big problem we have in the Democratic Party is that we, you know, a lot of us vote for them out of harm reduction, but dang it, we should be enthusiastic about our harm reduction. Like, yeah. they're, the, the right you. is so much more, like, it's, it's not even a competition. It's mm -hmm. like you said, what are they for? You know, I, I just, I can't believe, like, every time someone says they're going to vote for, you know, a Democrat, it's, oh, oh, I guess. Uh, yes. Yeah. And then you go, you look at Republicans, they got the red hats on. Uh, he didn't say that even though he said it. And if he said it, he was kidding. And if he was, wasn't, was it's, it's, come on, guys. We got to bring that enthusiasm for the dumb. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm completely with you, Brian, and I thought it was a great uh, speech, a great press conference. I would have preferred Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, but I'm real happy with Joe Biden, and I think he's doing a hell of a good job, given, particularly given the, you know, what he's up against. So, Brian, thank you. Well, well said. Amen. Leo in Sanford, North Carolina. Hey, Leo, what's up? I wanted to cover uh, something about medical bills, because I know you cover the medical industry sometimes. At the start of the year, they passed the Surprise Medical Bills Act, or something to that effect. If you go to a hospital that's in network, but you end up getting treated by a doctor that's not in your network, or say you get taken by an ambulance that's not on your network either, they can no longer charge you out-of-network fees, and they can only charge you what the in-network cost would have been. I just thought that would be important to cover for your viewers. Right. Yeah, this is a major victory by the Democrats to protect the American people, you know, from, from predators that the Republicans have been trying to elevate, as it were. Christian in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Christian, a little less than a minute. You got a quick hey, quick point? Did you happen to catch uh, James Carville last night on MSNBC with the Blue I, Bar? I, I heard a little bit of it, and I got a phone call in the middle of it, so I missed I missed most of it. But. Fair enough. Okay, just real quick. Uh, he gave a great, great example of it. He said, Biden planted an acorn here that's going to become an oak. So it was a great variation on the idea that uh, I don't care for your cheer. Your cheers mean nothing to me because I've seen what makes you boo. Um, so hmm. I think it might be a good philosophy for Democrats moving forward. We have a president now who's planted an acorn. Let's get some energy going. Let's get some enthusiasm because we have the case to make. Yeah, and we have the first Democratic president since Lyndon Johnson to repudiate neoliberalism, to embrace a kind of economic, you know, a, a form of economics, New Deal economics, great society economics that actually works, that builds the middle class, enhances democracy, that strengthens our nation. And I think we should be very happy about that. Christian, thank you. Very well said. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jay in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, Jay, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? I was listening to, uh, I believe it was MSNBC this week, and they were talking about the parallels of South Africa and the Afrikaners and how they were very willing to use violence to maintain their hold over the majority. Well, they did for, right? for a couple hundred years, yeah. yeah. That's right. And they were very, very, very willing to keep on doing that and, and that it was the, uh, the business community that really turned the tables on them and forced them to kind of change their ways and provide these rights. Well, I would the, say it was the international pressure on the business community. Had, had there not been a worldwide anti-apartheid anti-apartheid movement, I don't think the South African business community would have said, hey, we need to do something. Right. Uh, you're probably right there. But uh, just wondering if there's any suggestions anyone might have to kind of start levying some pressure from the business community uh, on this Republican you know, push to really really make it as difficult as possible for people to vote for their elected leaders. Yeah, I, I am with you, Jay. And uh, one of the guys who's really leading the charge in this regard uh, and doing just a great job with his uh, Substack newsletter is Judd Legum. Judd has been a regular on our program for, uh, geez, a decade. Uh, he used to write for Think Progress back in the day. 
and he's a brilliant writer. He's got a newsletter called Popular Information, and the website is popular.info. And he has been outing corporations that have been supporting uh, insurrectionist Republicans. And, and it's been so effective that a number of corporations have backed away from supporting these, these right-wing democracy haters. Um, and although a lot of them are going back on their word now, and Judd is calling them out on that too. So if you want the, the kind of state-of-the-art information, um, you can, his newsletter is free, or there's a free version of it. It's over at popular.info. Uh, and, you know, spread that far and wide. Um, I talk about it, obviously, as well, and there's a bunch of others who do. But, but I, I, think you're, I think you're right. This is going to require pressure, grassroots pressure, on the business community in the United States because they basically own our political system, thanks to the Supreme Court. And, of course, we also want to lean on our politicians. David in Pittsburgh, California. Hey, David, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I don't know if you heard it or not. The 2020 census was taken here a while back, and I heard someplace that uh, for the first time in history after the census was taken, that the white majority, um, quote, unquote, the minority, the white people is the minority, and the, uh, uh, and the other side of the coin is they're the majority. The, uh, That's correct. It's been about five years now, I think, that uh, there are, because of births, there are now more non-white people in the United States than white people. And in, uh, by the way, that uh, Texas actually that hit that point about 20 years ago. And so now in Texas, there are more non-white voters than there are white people, which is one of the reasons why the white power establishment in Texas is clamping down so hard by restricting the, the right to vote in Texas. But in the United States as a whole, we're going to hit that point in about 15 years. Yeah, they're panicking is what the yes, problem is. But exactly. that's the reason I called you. The, the, re the reason I called you was I was listening to the uh, Senate debate on uh, the voting right amendment and the John, uh, 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 and, John and the voting, John right. voting rights act. Yeah, yeah right. And this is just hypothetical now. We, we know that there is no uh, uh, clause in the U.S. Constitution giving us the right to vote. So let's flip the coin for a second and say that the Democrats won the vote and got the filibuster passed in their favor, and they passed and they passed the two uh, uh, bills, and it went into law. What what would happen with the conservative movement in this country, uh, the think think tank conservatives, you know, filing a lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court? And and uh, fighting this in court and saying this is an unconstitutional uh, law. Right. And uh, well, that's that's and, that's what they did with Bush v. Gore. Uh, but but yeah. but when when uh, when Rehnquist said in his decision in Bush v. Gore that there is no constitutional right to vote, uh, a lot of the rest of that sentence is is uh, elided is is overlooked. Um, he said there is no constitutional right to vote for president of the United States because we don't vote for president. We vote for electors. So right. he was technically accurate. But the phrase right to vote appears either three or four times in the Constitution, most recently in, I believe, the 15th Amendment. And so the, it's just that it's never been adjudicated. The Supreme Court has never taken it up in a way that might say, yes, we recognize this right. And so, therefore, it's still considered a kind of a right in limbo. 
And I'm not sure that this is the court that you want to bring these kind of cases before because they, they might do some damage that would last for a generation or more. But right. uh, the, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just agreeing with what you were uh, alluding to. Yeah. But I, th I do think that there is a constitutional right to vote. I realize that it was circumscribed in the beginning because it didn't include women. It didn't include, include people of color. There was even a debate in some states about whether it should include you know, men who owned land or not didn't own land or were in debt. There were some states where debtors couldn't vote. Uh, you know, we've kind of gotten through all that. And I think there's a broad consensus that there is a constitutional right to vote. And I'm with you, David. I think it needs to be tested. It needs to be pushed and it needs to be promoted. Andrew in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Hey, Andrew, what's on your mind? I was curious why uh, the 14th, 15th, 19th, and several other amendments in the Constitution itself doesn't protect us more from the voting rights issues that the states are doing, because it says, you know, that it should not be abridged, that, you know, right. Congress has the power. They all should, and Andrew. The problem is none of them have ever been run through the Supreme Court. So the, the, okay. the, the dimensionality of their enforceability, if that makes sense, you know, how broadly they can be interpreted, what they actually mean, um, uh, has not been defined. And, and okay. like I said earlier, I'm not sure that this is the court that you want to have defining that. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but, Very true. But that's, that's well, what's going the, on. Uh, you know, the, and, and the only, in fact, I think the only major, you know, voting, uh, two voting cases that I can think of are, are Bush v. Gore, which only had to do with the Electoral College, and uh, uh, Shelby County, in which uh, John Roberts simply proclaimed there's no more racism in America, so we no longer need to do anything about it. Yeah, they did say the voting rights. That. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you couldn't uh, put term limits on somebody. I know that was a Supreme Court decision, too, yeah. justifying what the Constitution did. But is there a reason, because in the nation, they had an uh, article talking about why the Constitution should trump the filibuster and why the filibuster is even applying in this situation. Do you I'd, know? Have to, I'd have to read the article, Andrew. But, you know, I, I think the Constitution says that the Senate rules by majority vote. And there's nothing about the filibuster in the Constitution. I think that's an argument that could be made. I don't think it could have been made yesterday successfully, but it can be made. Andrew, thank you for the call. I'll look for that article in the nation when I get off the air. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.